Well, hey, listen, I don't know if you heard about the little church out in the country, and they were having service one, one Sunday, and um, all of a sudden there was this bolt of lightning, a loud clap of thunder, and 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 crazy as it may seem, like this puff of smoke, big cloud of smoke, and when the smoke cleared, there was the devil himself standing behind the podium. And the people jumped up, they were screaming, they were scared, they jumped out, they ran out of that church as fast as you can, all except one old lady sitting on the front row. She just sat there, calm and collected. Finally, after everybody was gone screaming, it was all quiet, he looked at that old lady, he said, "Uh, you know who I am? She goes, yeah. He said, who am I? I use the devil. Aren't you scared of the devil? Everybody else is scared of me. Well, why would I be scared of you? I've been married to your brother for the last 40 years. I, you not bother me at all. <laughs> oh. I want to ask, we're in a little series. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like in your life, that were, there were some perhaps like some like invisible forces somehow work behind the scenes going on that just things just weren't adding up. Like this is like too weird. See, this is like strange. You know, I, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but something's going on. It just doesn't seem like it's natural or even normal. Maybe roadblocks that you've come across that just were just unnormal, not normal at all, just extraordinary circumstances, roadblocks being thrown your way, unexplained perhaps sense of disappointment or discouragement, just kind of like a cloud of depression perhaps just kind of descending upon you and you haven't even no clue what's going on, why it's even happening. Maybe some kind of a attack on your health or a bizarre conflict that comes out of nowhere from a person you thought was a great friend and all of a sudden everything's stirred up and your whole world's turned upside down or some kind of a financial strain going on in your life that you didn't expect. Can I, can I just introduce you to the thought that whenever you're pushing the kingdom of God forward, you're going to experience resistance. And not everything that you experience in the natural really is the natural. That there really are forces at work in the spiritual dimension that you cannot see that actually exist and are working against you. The sad news is that the enemy really doesn't bother you if you're really not a threat to him. It's the people that are selfish and self-absorbed and live angry all the time and just honoring people that, you know, the devil don't care about them because, you know what, why do I need to worry about you? Because you're doing a good job of destroying yourself anyway. But it's the people that are really pushing the kingdom of God forward, advancing the kingdom, that, that there is really a force at work at your, in your life. I have scripture to prove it, John chapter 10, verse 10, the enemy has come to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come to give life though, and life more abundantly. Paul experienced it, he said, he was in Ephesus in 1 Corinthians, he said, I I was gonna stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work is open to me and there, but yet there are many who do what? They oppose me. There's There's an effective door here, but at the same time there's resistance. We're in a series, we're calling it Boot Up. 
And it's a military term. I was talking to uh, a friend of ours, and uh, he was he was a military guy, and he's an incredible. Um, he was incredible. Um, I think Marine, and and uh, so he talks in these he's terms of military things, assuming I know what he's talking about. And uh, I said, "Hey, I think we, we might be ready to go." He goes, "Yeah, let's boot up." And I'm like, "Don't have any idea what that means." Oh, means let's, let's go, let's go, let's get ready to go. Charlie Mike. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, just move forward, baby. I, and so he's got his whole back vocabulary. I thought it was fascinating. But I, I, I wanted to name this series Boot Up because when you come to Christ, life isn't always a bed of roses. I don't even know who came up with that phrase. Have you ever pulled roses? Have you been in a bed of roses? They're full of thorns. It's nothing pretty about it at all. But life isn't about the things don't always go your way or the th- way that you think, you think they should because why? You've entered into a spiritual conflict. In fact, in the world, in the church world, we call it spiritual warfare. There is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Forces of evil, rulers of darkness, at work against the progress that you are making. In fact, Daniel in chapter 10 came across that himself and he was just—he was asking the Lord for um, an interpretation for uh, for a vision. For he needed a word from God. He starts praying for a word from God, and 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 he prays. He prays. He fasts. He prays down by the Tigris River in Babylon. He's praying, and still no answer. He prays seven days, fourteen days. Finally, on the twenty-first day. There's this angel that shows up, and the angel says to him, look, Daniel, sorry for the delay. I heard you, and it came the first day you started praying, but the prince of the principality, the prince of Persia, had held me up. Well, he wasn't talking about some high, fancy-dressed guy up in a palace somewhere. He was talking about a principality over an entire region of the earth that had resisted the answer from God coming to Daniel. Now, that isn't a pretty little story put in our Bible just so, so we can, you know, tell our kids in Bible school. No, this is a real story that happened, and it happens every day today. That when you are set about pushing the kingdom of God, when you are a soldier in the kingdom of God, and your desire is to see the Lord's kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven, guess what? You come against spiritual resistance. Let's talk about it. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us, he gives us literally our, our weaponry that we have to stand against this enemy. Finally, be strong in the Lord, his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against the, the, the strategies that he has against you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So therefore, put now here he gives the answer of how we're going to be able to resist the enemy and move the kingdom forward. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, the day of evil comes, the day when you're attacked, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Then, with what? With the belt of truth. Buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And there you go, you fight the battle. He shows us and tells us what our spiritual armor looks like. It's interesting as a review, there's no armor for the back. 
You have nothing for the back. It's all frontal armor. In other words, you can't run. There's no reverse. There's no hightail it run. And then you start with the belt of truth. And we started last week talking about the belt of truth, which is centered around your core. And, and how one of our trainers in the house here said to us that the center of gravity, the epicenter, if you would, of your entire body's strength is right here in your core area where your balance, sense of balance comes from. And so how important it is that everything you do comes from a place of truth. And how the word of God is the truth. And how every time you open up the word of God, God opens his mouth. That was cool. I like that saying. I keep saying I love that, right? Are y'all here? Y'all alive? Y'all right? We okay? All right. And then, and then today we're going to talk about this breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate of righteousness. I don't even know what the word righteousness means. What's that all about? A breastplate of righteousness? Well, you have to understand the, the breastplate covered this area here, basically from the bottom of your neck and down over your shoulders a little bit and down to the bottom of your stomach area, basically where all your vital organs are at. It weighed about 40 pounds, made of, in Roman days, uh, heavy nickel or sometimes bronze. And it was to protect all these organs right here. But more, most specifically, it was to protect what? This right here, the heart. Because the heart is, it's the kill shot for the Roman soldier or for the enemy. If he, I mean, if he wounds your leg, you can still fight. If he wounds your arm, you can still fight. You know, if he nicks you here or there, he can, you can still fight. But if he gets you right here, come on, yeah. it's game over. It's the kill shot of warfare, hand-to-hand combat. And so the Bible says very clearly, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, to guard your toes. <laughs> what does it say? Guard your heart. Why do you have to guard your heart? Come on, everybody, it's right there. Come on. Why do you have to guard your heart? Exactly. And so the kill shot that the enemy wants to bring to you is your heart. And what you have to do is you guard your heart with what? With righteousness. <clears throat> the heart is what? It's the soul. It's the mind, the will, the emotions of a person's life. It's, a, it's the personality, if you would, of the person. It's the, it's the, the thing that in your life that, that makes you a little different than the other person. It's the, it's the gears that go on inside of your, your life, your mind, your decisions, your will, the, 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 the determination that you have, decisions you're making as well, and, and your feelings all go together in your heart. It's all part of your heart. And so, so this righteousness has a Definition. Let me give you some definitions for those taking notes. Number one, righteousness is the outward expression of truth. The outward expression of truth. Number two, it is the application of truth in my everyday life. Righteousness can also be defined as living a life that aligns itself with God's expectations of me. And lastly, righteousness can be defined as just living right. It's part of the word, right? Righteousness. Just living right. Now remember the context in which this is written, that, that we're talking about a spiritual warfare. We're talking about resistance taking place. There's an unseen force at work behind the scenes. Uh, there's demonic, perhaps, activity at place. There's something that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. But at the same time, we're also talking about authority. 
God, Paul is bringing out to us, reminding us that not only are you in a conflict, but you also have authority in the conflict. I'm thankful for that. It's one thing to be in a war and you, all you have is a water pistol, but it's another thing when you got a big tank and a nuclear arsenal behind your back. Come on, somebody. And so this is what Paul is saying. God's giving you just, not only are you in a war, but you have something to fight with and something to defeat the enemy with. And so we have to understand that because if we don't understand that, then what we do is we just live life dealing with spiritual problems with physical answers and it doesn't work. We have to understand our authority that we have in Christ. That he's given us incredible authority. Like the farmer, he found, a, he found an eagle's egg and he didn't know what to do with it so he took it home and he placed the eagle's egg into the chicken coop. And over time, the eagle's egg hatched along with the other little chickens. And so the eagle grew up watching the other little chickens scratch around in the ground and pick, pecking in the ground, flying just a few little feet and then stopping and pecking some more, scratching some more. And guess what the eagle started doing? Pecking and scratching and flying a few feet. He had no idea the authority or the power that he had to ascend into the highest skies and to soar and to look down in the power of his claws. He had no clue that he had incredible power and authority and that's so true of the body of Christ. We sit around with a bunch of other little chickens when God's got you to soar with the eagle. Come on and turn to your neighbor and tell him, start soaring like an eagle. To tell, tell your neighbor, quit scratching in the ground. Come on, come on, soar like an eagle. You just, you ain't living like a chicken. Living like a chicken. So what is the opposite of, of righteousness? Well, it could be wrongness. The opposite of righteousness is wrongness, chicken living. Living like a chicken. That's, that's called unrighteousness. This wrongness does two things to you. Living unrighteous or wrongly blocks the flow of God into my life. And in addition to that, it begins to invite demons to come along and play into my world. Oh, it's, it, it, it's, it's people go, listen, my life, I can do what I want to. Well, yeah, you can do what you want to. But can I also tell you, there's other things at play when you do whatever you want to do. It's not just, I'm going to do my own thing and whatever, you know, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to have my freedoms, I'm going to have my laughs and my joys and my fun, I'm going to do my thing. Yeah, okay, but guess what? You also are entering a whole other dimension. You have opened the door to something you don't want any part of. When you live unrighteously, there's a price to pay. It's like, it's like, some people, they like to live, you've probably seen some people like this, they like to live trashy. Can we just talk a little bit? I mean, we, they just like to live trashy. They, they, they're comfortable with trash all around them. And, 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 and so they don't mind if there's, you know, a 14-month-old bologna sandwich still sitting on the coffee table. 
and, and, and some sour milk, just scoot it to the side, make room. I'm going to read my book. They, they don't care if there's sour clothes all over the place. They, they just push it aside and make room to lay down. You ever seen those movies, Hoarders? Come on. I look at that, I'm like, are you kidding me? And so some people just don't mind the trash. They have trash. What they don't understand is with the trash comes roaches <laughs> and ants and rats, mice, and all the deck entails. It's more than just you got a trashy life, you got demons up in your house. Come on, it's an analogy. It's an analogy. Work with me here. You, you, it's more than just, oh, don't mind my trash. No, I don't mind your trash as much as I mind that little thing with four legs coming up there looking at me like he wants my cheese. And, it's a, and then they go, oh, you know, I, oh, I got company coming over. I got I to gotta get rid of my trash. And so we go into trash management. And so we open up the closet door and we grab all the trash and we shove it in the door and we grab some more trash and shove it in the door and we close the door and we put it underneath the sofa and we put it underneath the rugs and we got all our trash and, we, and then our friends come over and we're sitting there and they go, oh, I like your place. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and they have no idea in about 15 seconds a rat's coming out from underneath that closet door and you're going to rip your big toe off. My wife, a while back, she said, we have some fish that we need to throw away. We didn't need it all, and it's bad now, so I need you to, I need you to throw this fish away. And uh, so I said, okay. So I put the fish in the trash can. And then I took the trash liner, pulled it out, and I took it and put it in the garage trash can. I threw it away. I was proud of myself. She, I walked back in. She goes, you throw that fish out? I said, absolutely. A couple days later, she walks into the house from the garage and says, uh, I thought you threw the fish out. I said, I did. And where did you put the fish? In the trash. And where'd you put the trash? In the garage. In the trash can. She goes, you want to go out there in the garage? And take your little whiff, smell a little bit? I didn't mean the trash can. I meant like throw it out in the field behind our house. <laughs> we, call, we, we, we love trash management. It, it's amazing to me that some things aren't even worthy of the trash. The fish, the, the rotten fish wasn't even worthy of the trash. And we live our lives sometimes where things that aren't even worthy of the trash, we just hold on to and hold on to and hold on to. And, and, and yet we don't wonder, why am I got all these little demons running around in my head in my life? My name is JP and I'm your friend, but you're trashy. You clean up your trash. See, righteousness is, here's the, here's the good news. Righteousness is that protective shield that I put over my heart. 
And, and, and my heart is everything. Once my heart says, well, no, your heart's not everything. The life is in the blood. Yeah, well, your life is in the blood, the Bible says. But once that blood stops moving, it's over with. You don't need blood. You got to have a heart that pumps it. So you need the number one killer of, 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 of people in the United States is heart disease. One out of every four people die of a heart problem. And in the church, it's even worse. We have heart issues. So, so here's what happens at salvation. Two things happen to salvation. Number one, you receive a new heart. That's really good news. What does that mean? That means that, that God comes into your life and he cuts away through the waters of baptism that old nature that you were born with that old defiled Adamic nature that was passed down from Uncle Grandpa Adam years and years ago that you were born with, you get to cut that off and you get to come out of the waters of baptism with a resurrected life, uh, with a new heart. The heart of Christ. It's not like an old beat up heart. God, he gives you his heart. So that's what happens when you give your heart to Jesus. And number two, the second thing that happens is you get a new identity. Well, this is really important. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Then he goes on to say, verse 21, I love this, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us, and here, here, get this, so that in Jesus, in him, we might What? No, whoa, whoa. You, you might become the righteousness of God? Well, surely I've got to work at this. Surely I've got to do something to make this happen. No, that's called religion. Religion, religion says you've got to make it happen. You've got to make righteousness happen. We're going to dress. You've got to look the part. So you've got to dress a certain way. You've got to talk a certain way. And it's an, in, it's an outside-in thing. And, and Jesus comes along and goes, it's not an outside thing. You might as well just go ahead and paint your tombstone because everything's dead inside. It's an inside-out thing. And the beautiful thing about this whole, this whole deal is, is that the righteousness comes from God. It's a gift to you. He, he gives you the opportunity to be identified with him as the righteous person that God made you to be with. You, you have the same gift of Jesus being the righteousness of God. It's now, now he transfers it onto you. You have a new identity. You... Yeah. Let me say it like this. It's not your behavior. You can't, your behavior doesn't create righteousness. You can't do enough good things to become righteous. Even Paul said, on my best day, I'm just a filthy rag. You're, it's not a behavior manipulation or change. It's an understanding that in Christ, when I hide myself in Christ, uh, I take on his identity, and now there's, my heart's protected. There's no kill shot. There's no opportunity for the enemy to come and condemn me and beat me down with shame and guilt uh, and condemnation. I, my heart is set free. I'm for righteousness of Christ. I know who I am. So years ago, my son wanted to play football. He's eight years old. He wants to play. He's been just, man, this was the greatest dream of his life. Play football. Tackle football with real helmets and real shoulder pads and cleats. 
And so none of this little peewee stuff, real, real tackle him and let him have it football. And so he's eight years old. We want to sign him up at Gulf Shores. And they said, well, problem is, there's so many kids that have signed up, we have no more room. In fact, the only way your son could play is if he played up a league in the 10 and under, not the eight and under. And he'd have to play in Orange Beach because they don't have enough players. And so my son said, well, I, mean, I said, are you okay with that? I mean, these kids are going to be bigger and are you two years older than you. Can you hear? Like, yeah, yeah, I want to play. Yeah, I want to play. All right, all right. So we signed him up and, and there's, I think, 13 players on the Orange Beach team. You got to have 11 to just put the team out there. And they had, finally practiced and practiced, finally had their first scrimmage against Gulf Shores. And my son's out there, and I think only 11 showed up. So everybody has to play on Orange Beach the whole game. We looked over on the other side of the field, on the other sideline of Gulf Shores, and there was like, like China was over there. You know, this is like a billion people. I think really it was about 40 people. So you got, it's like, we're like, wow, that's crazy. And, and so when our Orange Beach team went out to play on the field, it was just the coach and I standing there on the sideline. You know what I'm saying? It was just... It was just us, and, and two of the kids didn't show up, and, 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 and it was just all the sea of players over there. And so my son was the running back. He's the running back of the team. And so first play of the game, first play, they got their helmets on, they got their uniforms on, they got their numbers, hut, hut, hike, turns around, hands it to my son, my t- son does a right sweep, comes around the end, comes through a hole, he gets about, gets about 10 yards, tackled, and he's laying there, and everybody's getting up, and they're off of him, and he's still got the ball underneath him, he's the last one on the bottom of the pile, and out of nowhere came this like, Japanese kamikaze little 10 year, like 800 pound 10 year old is going to show everybody what he can do. <sighs> and my son was just laying there, just getting ready to get up, and the ball was underneath him, and this 800 pound gorilla landed on top of him. And, and everyone's like, What are you doing? You know, get off, man. The play is over. And my son starts, curls up in a ball and was like this. I'm like, Oh my goodness, first play of the season. We're not even in the season yet. And I run out there as a dad, you know, and my son's all curled up and I'm looking at him. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, he lost his breath. He got his wind knocked out. The ball had knocked the wind out of him. So we, I picked him up and we're walking. He's walking to the side. We get about halfway to the sideline. He goes, <sighs> and you could tell he's scared. He had fear. He, he, oh, he wanted to cry. We get to the sideline. They called a timeout. We don't know what to do because we only have 11 players, and now we're down. What we, is he going to come back? What's going to happen? And we get about halfway. This is the first play of the preseason of the year of his career, of his life. And he says to me, Dad, I said, what? He goes, I quit. I'm done. I said, I said, hold on, so let's just talk about this a little bit. I'm done, Dad. I'm done. I'm done. I said, now you got a uniform on. He goes, yeah. I said, and it's got something on the back. What does it say on the back? It says Wilson. I said, that's right. Now let me tell you something, son. Wilsons don't quit. You're not going to be the first Wilson to ever quit in the history of the world. 
Now you're going to go walk back in there and you're going to run like your pants are on fire. You understand me, son? Because <laughs> my name's a Wilson, that's right. <laughs> he, walked, he runs back in. Next play, they gave him the ball and he ran like his pants were on fire. What, happened? what did I have to do? I had to remind him of his identity. That it's not, it's not, it's, it's not what you do or don't do or your great things you've accomplished. It's, it's all about the name written on your heart. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the fact that the righteousness of Christ is rules and reigns over you, and you are the righteousness of Christ because he said you are, not because you do good things. It's just because he said you are. In fact, when God looks at you and you're walking with the Lord, he don't see all your hang-ups and your mess-ups and your failures. He sees the blood of Christ, and the blood of Christ covers all your failures and all your flaws. And he says, that's my righteous kid right there. That's my righteous one right there. You got to put the breastplate back on. Turn your neighbor and tell him, put that breastplate on. Just put that breastplate right on, right now. See, here's the beauty of a protected heart. Let me see. I'm really, it's hard to talk about, you know, abstract topics in a way for us to understand. I've struggled with this. Where I I, literally, this is not, no no, no lie. I had a dove. Doves go by twos. I had one single dove this morning sitting outside my window as I'm reading and studying and looking at my notes and he's staring right at me. The whole time, I'm just sitting there just kind of reviewing my stuff, and he's just staring at me. <laughs> and when I see a dove, it's not like everybody, I see the Holy Ghost. I'm, t- I'm just, I, to me, I, it's amazing in my life where randomly doves show up. And I always look at a dove, and I'm like, oh, there's a clue, there's a clue. So the Holy Spirit's got to show up here. The whole, he, I think he's trying to help us out here. But here's the beauty of, the, of a protected heart, because your spirit which is the eternal part of you, that when you die, you go to be with, your spirit goes to be with the God, what goes to be with the, you have a spirit, that's what you are. You're a spirit being, having a body, a soulish experience in a physical body. That's what you are. You're a spirit being that has a soul that lives in a body. Now your body's gonna decay, and one day it will go, it will have new bodies and everything, but for right now, what God's working on is he's in the process of cleaning up your soul. We, in the church world, we call it sanctification. It's a, it's a pretty little word, which means he's in the process of cleaning you up. And so when you receive Christ into your heart, your spirit is renewed and your spirit begins this operation, this surgery, and this process of working on yourself. So you're all in the pro- we're all in the process. This is why I have patience for people that mess up because we're all in process. There is no one that's arrived, including me. We are all in the process. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're in the process, baby. Come on. You're in the process. We're all working through the process. We're all saved and being saved and will be saved. It's a past, present, and future tense thing. 
And so God's working the sanctification into our soul from our spirit. Now, 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 let me just put it like this. It's an analogy. So say you have this big barrel, a combustor, a big barrel, a metal container. And it was called your, your spirit. And it has this pipe running to it called, called faith. And every time you, you, and you're reading your word or you're praying and, and the Lord drops a word into your heart called truth. You pour this truth into this little, this little pipe called faith that runs into your barrel called spirit. And over time, as you sit under teachings like this and Wednesday night teaching and small group teachings and as your own personal meditation time and personal time with the Lord, you start filling this spirit with all this truth and you're mixing it with faith. Now this spirit has a relief valve and over time, this, this word, this truth fills up your spirit and that relief valve goes up and it goes right into your soul, right into your heart, right into your feelings, your mind, your will, and, you go, and you, you, something happens in your life and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. I'm just going to not worry about this. What's happening? You're in the process and your soul is becoming sanctified. You're learning what it's like to walk with a renewed mind and heart and soul. And so over time, as the soul begins to get filled up, it has a relief valve, and it goes off, and it releases life into your body. And the arthritis you used to have now is not there anymore. The cancer seems to be leaving my body. I'm seeing the depression I have seems to be gone. I'm not anxious and stirred up anymore. What's going on? You are being saved from the inside out. You are being sanctified. And the process of cleaning you up is taking place. We call it regeneration. You're being regened. Come on now. That old DNA is being washed away. And he is regening your body. Mm. So, if you would just give me a moment. I'm going to take a step over here. Mr. Pete, I love the fact you live, you sit in that first row. So, If I told you, Pete, today that a year ago, you didn't know this, but a year ago, I buried $500,000 of cash in your backyard, and it was yours to have, and you believe me, because you know I'm not going to tell you a lie, and I told it to you right now, now, now you, you would, could not wait. You would be like, okay, when's the service going to get over? <laughs> you wouldn't hear another thing I said. In fact, once we said amen, you would fire out of this, forget the Rita's eyes, forget saying hello, goodbye, so long, farewell, to chew and chew and chew, away you go, and you make a beeline to your truck, you peel out, and you don't pass go, you don't go get lunch, you head to your house. You go into the garage, you grab your shovel, you grab your gloves, 
You, put, you, 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 you don't even go inside and change your clothes. You got your church clothes on, your nice little summit church shirt on. You go out into the garage. You, you, you grab your hat and you, you go out in your backyard. And, and what are you going to do? I didn't try this thing on before I think it's a little too, too, too little for me or too big for me. And so, so you start digging. Donna comes home a couple hours later. Pete, what are you doing? I'm digging. You dug up all my flowers. That's all right. I'll get you some new flowers. I'll get you flowers you've never seen before. What, what, what are you doing? You're digging up half the yard. I'm looking for something. What you looking for? I don't matter. I don't have time to talk. Six o'clock at night. Pete. Donna says, you, you dug up the whole backyard. Yeah. What are you looking for? This is, doesn't make sense. The neighbors are starting to get, they're asking questions. I don't know what to answer. I don't know what to say. What are you doing? I'm looking for something. You get, you get, you're digging. You're like neck deep now. And you're down in a hole. You're digging. She comes out. Pete, you want something to eat? No, I'm working on something. What are you looking for? I'm looking for some money. It's in this yard. And when I find this money, honey, life's going to be different. From here on out, it's going to be a new thing. Three o'clock in the morning comes. You still haven't found it. There's a loud noise outside. Donna comes like, she's like, what in the world? She's like, what's going on? <clears throat> There's got to be something going on. What's going on with the, the outside? She's, she comes out. She comes out with her little light and everything. She's going, what, what's, what's down there? He said, JP said that down there in my, in this, down there in the ground is $500,000. Donna goes, what? 500, what? $500,000 in my backyard. She goes, get out of the way. Give me that shovel. You're too slow. <laughs> Donna goes to work. Come on. Six o'clock in the morning, there's this bulldozer. Bulldozes down the back fence. There's a, there's a, tri there's a digger. What are they? The backhoe. He's back, he beats them to run in his backhoe. He's digging, he's digging, he's digging, he's digging, he's digging, he's digging. He's digging. Why, why, is, why is he digging? Because he knows that something valuable is down here. Can I put it right here? There is something so valuable in your life. It's the righteousness of Christ. And the enemy has done everything in his power to keep you from seeing the valuable treasure buried deep within your heart. He has given you the righteousness of himself. Why would I want the righteousness of Christ? Oh, you don't know why? Well, let me tell you why. You want the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Because like I mentioned before, when you really understand your identity in Christ, that you don't have to work for it, that God don't look how you're dressing, 
He's not, he don't care about the places you go or don't go as much as he cares about the process that's taking place from the inside out. You can't dress up this thing. It's a, it's a dead man walking. It's a dead man. But if you will understand that you have already become righteous, uh, then you begin to act righteous. You begin to talk righteous. You begin to look righteous. You, let, us, let me say it like this. You begin to understand that no, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And when the enemy comes and says, you know what you did about 10 years ago? You know what? Remember that mistake you made? Remember that divorce you had? Remember that job you walked out? Oh, I don't remember that. All I know is I'm covered with the breastplate of righteousness. All I know is that I'm right with God. All I know is that he's come and he's filled my spirit and he's transforming my soul. And it's even touching my body. All you need, the righteousness of Christ. It's worth even more than $500,000 in your backyard. It's far more valuable than that. And if you understood what is the treasure waiting in your heart, you will dig everything up and pluck everything out and go, I need to walk in the righteousness of my Christ. He's covering my heart. He's covering my organs. And I'm ready to fight the fight of faith for the kingdom of God. Come on, church. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning, you would say, Pastor JP, I do not understand this thing that, that you're talking about, but it makes sense to me. And I need to give my heart to the Lord. Today, I need to give my heart to the Lord. I, I need a new heart. It all starts with a new heart, my friend. It all starts with a new heart. And no matter what you've done, I promise you, God will give you a new heart. If you understand that, you understand you are ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You're not playing around anymore. You, you are serious about this thing. You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You're going to walk with him. You're drawing a line in the sand today. You're just making a declaration. I'm going to follow him. I don't care what it costs me. Count me in. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. If that's you today, you say, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need him to be my God. I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. Come on, raise your hand. I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Amen and amen. Come on, keep it held, held up high. Yes, way over there in the back and in the back over there in my side, my everywhere. Thank you, Father, for that. Amen. I want to pray with you this prayer right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I call it the prayer of salvation. And you need to understand that today the Lord has given you a new heart. He's going to give you, come on, he's going to give you the right to come into his kingdom. Would you say it like this? Would you pray after me? In fact, can we all pray? Would you say this, Lord Jesus? Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my mistakes. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for making me born again. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen and amen. Come on, can you give Jesus a praise for that?